Crush your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we have someone that probably already familiar with, and that is Dee Wallace. And you probably know Dee Wallace from E.T. She played the mom in E.T. She played the mom in Cujo. She has been in so many great movies, and it's amazing because she played these mom characters before she was actually a mom. And she also has written several books, but her latest book is titled Born, Giving Birth to a New You. You know, E.T. was the top grossing movie for I don't even know how many years it was like 20 right. years and it's the, it's the 40th anniversary of E.T. this year oh, 2022 oh my gosh I felt so old or, she, was in, she was in Critters and that's yes. the 35th anniversary this year and then the Howling which she was in was last year the 40th anniversary yeah when we spoke to her she had just done a red eye was oh, yeah. had landed was in mourning she she was just gracious to do the interview she's already done seven different films and shows and it's only well it's june now when we taped this it was a couple weeks ago the woman has been busy for over 40 years in this industry and she doesn't stop and mm-hmm. she talks about that self-actualization like you were mentioning Bridget that she just brings it into the universe she just mm-hmm. loves what she does and she's just besides being a best-selling author she's an Emmy nominated actress so she's so talented yeah what she does and I mean I don't know E.T. just I still get excited to go on the E.T. ride in Disney World. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, like, yeah. I feel like on my little bicycle, I guess. Let's, and you know, I, I, and at the end when they just do your names, you know, oh, at the end. but you know, it's, it's amazing because I think E.T. was one of the first movies. I think I was like eighth grade or freshman in high school when that came out. And that is one of the first movies that I saw multiple times in a theater that actually I went because back then, you know, they didn't show it all the time. You couldn't get it right away on your VHS cassette recorder. And I went to the actual theater and paid my babysitting money to go see E.T. And, she, you know, you're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about, you know, how her own take on being this character. It's so amazing. And when you watch those scenes from those movies, like in Cujo, and you as a parent know what it's like, if something was coming after your child, oh, what you gosh. would do to protect yes. your child. It, it is really amazing. But I just left her messages as well to, to what you want. Let's get out of the way of what you don't want. You know what you don't want, but right. what do you want? I thought that was really a great message. And that she doesn't buy into the whole um, older women are not able to work because she's definitely living that mantra. She works all the time. And she, you know, a lot of people know her as one of the scream queens because she was in all the horror movies, but she actually kind of 
manifested those emotions to express in ways that were helpful for her. So she actually enjoyed those movies. And she tells us some behind the scenes talk about filming E.T. with Drew Barrymore. She was recently on Drew Barrymore's show and they talked about their relationship. And she talks about behind the scenes with her stunt woman in the in Cujo. And so it's really, uh, catching up with her was just a lot of fun. So guys, mm-hmm. if you want to watch the video of this, you can check it out on vitalc.com. That's V-I-T-A-L-C-Y. Com. They're going to have our video up for D Wallace and audio, obviously everywhere you find podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. And, you know, we wanted to talk real quick about reviews. Every time someone leaves a review, if they enjoy the show, we are so appreciative because the algorithms do a little dance and they send us out to more women. And we really want this podcast to go to as many women as possible. We want to be the voice for women in our demographic. We're living our best lives and we want to be a place where every topic is discussed. So if you could just take a second and leave a review, we certainly would appreciate that greatly. And we like to recommend some previous episodes in case you have missed them that we're really proud of. And one such episode is one that we had done June 26th of 2020. It marked the fifth anniversary of the Marriage Equality Act. And I'm going to let Bridget do this one because she's friends with the couple. Yes. So this is a friend of mine, um, Tammy Boyd. Franklin and her wife, Kim Franklin, and they are two of the couples that were the plaintiffs in the Marriage Equality Act. So we have Kim and Tammy to thank for everyone having the opportunity to marry whom they love and whomever they choose, regardless of their gender. And it's it's episode 51 of season one. You can find it June 26th. 2020. We talked to them about the relationship, how they ended up in the Bergefell versus Hodges case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, what it was like sitting there during oral argument at the Supreme Court, and the legacy that they hope they they leave for the next generation. So check that episode out. We're going to start our conversation with Dee Wallace. We'll see you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today we have on an amazing guest. I say that a lot, but they're all amazing. But Dee Wallace, actress, best-selling author. Gosh, you are just reading your bio. I was exhausted reading it. <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, well, I have seen you around a lot recently because the 40th anniversary of E.T. is coming up. So I saw there was a great shot of you, Drew Barrymore show. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a great shot of you and Drew Barrymore doing kind of a scene from E.T. Yeah, Um, we did it for TikTok, yeah. (laughs) And you're also on TikTok. How do you find time to, to be on TikTok? Uh, my daughter finds time for me to be on TikTok. <laughs> you know, I'm I am I am technically challenged to say the least. I have to tell everybody like we couldn't get me on camera and we couldn't figure out because the camera. W- I had the little dealie on my camera. <laughs> so I didn't even know it. I, I I I just don't do technical. I do creative. So anything that's creative, I'm like Johnny on the spot. So. Yeah. I love the TikTok, the recent one where your daughter, she looks so much like you. And yeah. someone said to her, hey, I think you look like, you kind of look like Dee Wallace. Yeah. And it's like that hidden, it's so cool. It's wonderful. Yeah, you think? I, I kind of 
wanted to start, we are going to talk all about your books, but I kind of wanted to start at the beginning with your career and how your mom actually was an actress in local theater. And you've always felt this emotional connection. Can you talk a little bit about how it started? I think my emotional connection is with creativity. And uh, I initially wanted to be a dancer and was a a ballet dancer in the Midwest. Um, And then my teacher, who was a prima ballerina from Germany, took me aside, and I don't do accents very well, but she said, I'm going to do you a big favor. You will always be good, but you will never be great. If you want to be great, go do something else. (laughs) (laughs) So I went, all right, I'll go out. (laughs) And in the meantime, I got my teaching degree and taught a year of high school. And then I thought, man, if I don't get out of here now, I ain't ever going to get out of here and do my dream. Right. Mm -hmm. So I moved to New York by myself. And, um, you know, my naivete, I'm a huge believer in naivete. I think, um, People who are naive don't have fear. They just have blind faith. And that's how I went to New York. I I actually wrote Hal Prince, who was the biggest producer on Broadway at the time, uh, this very cheesy letter and sent an even cheesier picture. I'm not kidding. I was on my bed going like <laughs> <laughs> and uh, three weeks later, his assistant called and said, yeah, Mr. Prince got your letter and he'd like to fly you to New York to audition for a little night music. So the day I landed in New York, I sent everything I owned, put it in a cab and went, hi, will you take it to this address? And it all got there. And I made my way down to uh, Rockefeller Center, and I got down to the last five girls in the acting and the the dancing. And then his assistant said, "All right, Mr. Prince would like to hear you sing." And I went, "Oh, oh, I didn't know he had to sing." And she said, "Well, dear, it is a musical." <laughs> And he yelled out, that's okay, honey, just sing happy birthday for me. And the accompanist said, what key? And I went, somewhere in the middle. (laughs) You know, but I made it to the last five, right? And by the time I left, I knew how to, I knew who to study singing with And I knew how to take the buses and do the subways. I got all my training from all the gypsies that were trying out. So, wow. So, had you ever been to New York before? Never, never been out of Kansas. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you didn't let fear. And I know we're going to talk more about your book. And that is a big thing in your book, just your book, Born, just going without fear. But we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But, That is. It all connects. It It all connects. It all connects. You bet. Hey, I live what I teach. Mm -hmm. And after over 260 film and TV credits, you know, I'm a pretty good creator. I've got a whole healing practice. I have a daughter that six specialists told me I would never have. And I just, you know, when I put my mind to it, 
But God and I are pretty powerful together. Yeah. I love the story you tell about baking cookies to get on yeah. the set. <laughs> set. Can you tell that story? I think yeah. Well, you know, when I came out to LA, it was, um, it was really hard to get in to see any of the casting directors. Uh, you had to get onto the lot. And then to get onto the lot, you had to go through the guard gate. So I did what any good Kansas girl would do. I baked homemade chocolate chip cookies and I put them in baskets and I wrapped them up real fancy and I put them in my back seat and I pulled up to the guard gate and I said, hi, I've got deliveries. He said, okay, go on through. <laughs> I proceeded to take my cookies to each of the casting directors. And the last casting director was the head of casting at Universal, Reuben Cannon. And he happened to come out while I was leaving up and he went, oh, chocolate chip cookies, they're my favorite, come on in. So I went in and sat down, we started talking. I said, well, I just got here from Kansas because that was a much better line than New York. And uh, during the, uh, while I was in there, he got a call from the set. And the girl who was supposed to play the waitress who had five lines was sick. And that was the next scene. And what did he want them to do? And he covered the phone and he said, what size do you wear? I said, what size do you need, honey? <laughs> <laughs> and he sent me over. And that was my, my first uh, film out here in, in L.A., my first film credit. Oh, that is so incredible. That but is, that's what I mean. It's, yeah. you know, if you just go, okay, well, this is where I need to get to. Oh, well, I can bake cookies to get there. Or I could write a letter and send a picture to get there. Or, But you have to know where you want to get to. Right. And that's where most people fall out is they never decide and commit to what they want to do. And then the universe goes, all right, well, we'll wait. Mm -hmm. We'll wait along with you. You just mm -hmm. go study for another 40 years until you decide you want to do it. Right. And yeah. you've also said that you don't play into the idea that there aren't roles for older women, that you don't accept that. You kind of reject that concept. Well, I've done seven films since January, so... That's insane. <laughs> uh, it is kind of insane. Mm -hmm. I, I was telling myself that on the red eye back this morning. I literally have been back in town four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and we appreciate you coming on. Really on the do. Hour. Really. And I, what I, you know, with your book um, that I read, which is so, it's very helpful. It's very enlightening. It's very encouraging to people. And the big thing about fear, and I, I, as I was listening and reading your book, I was thinking about how I have let fear get in my way. And you just led into where you, the naivety, I can't even say the Naivete. word. I have a day. Yeah. That, you, that it is really a great thing to have. And I know that I, when I was listening, I'm like, I just let fear get in my way. And just doing something, you know, if they say no, so they've said no. Nobody's killed me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love the way my mom used to put it. She said, Dee Dee, let them say no. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to have enough people that say no, but don't you say no for them before you even ask, yes. right? Mm-hmm. That's a so, great way to look at it. It's yeah, actually- uh, I I didn't really understand it and st- until I started living and teaching this work. Mm-hmm. But she would, as everything else, my mother was right on. So how did you get cast in the role for E.T., the mom? Uh, I had auditioned for used cars. <laughs> and Stephen works very far in the future. So when he saw me, he went, oh, that's that's the childlike thing I want in the mother for E.T. So when E.T. came along, they just called and offered it to me. Wow. Another Hollywood story. Yeah. yeah. You didn't have to audition or anything. Yeah. It was, yeah. That is, that's great too. They're just, and that's, you know, was that you, I guess how long in your career was that in your acting career? I had been professionally acting a little between three and a half and four years. Oh, so it was that quick. Okay. Yeah. But it was wow. after 10, right? It was after yes. 10. Mm-hmm. It was okay. after 10. And after the howling. Yeah. Cujo, I still can't watch. That's what I was going to say, Cujo. Gosh. Cujo is my favorite film and the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That car scene. The car scene is terrifying. Half the movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think I saw a clip where you said the the stunt lady that was in the scene. Uh, Yeah. She got her nose bit off or something. It yeah. wasn't the dog's fault. Right. Uh, they right. were trained to go after toys. So when she leaned forward, that was the dog's cue to come forward. When she pulled back, that was the cue for the dog to pull back. And they were really that well-trained. And um, so they got it in one shot. And our director, Louis Teague, said, Great, print it. And she went, yes, before anybody had a hand on the dog. So the dog did what it was supposed to do, but it was fine. They picked it up. They sewed it on. She looks beautiful. (laughs) But that's why I had begged to do it with the real dogs, you know. And Dan, our, our, Dan Blatt, our producer, was going to let me in the morning of, he said, you know, D, I've changed my mind because if something happens to you, the movie goes down and we're screwed. Mm-hmm. So he came up afterwards and he said, see, that's why I didn't want you to do it. And I thought, well, I wouldn't have come up. <laughs> but, you know, you never know when you, you get so in the moment when you're doing it, you just sometimes don't know what's going to happen. I love the stories you tell about how the kids were so young on E.T. that they kind of had, like, Steven Spielberg had to make sure that the the E.T. Um, statues would move and talk to them, especially Drew Barrymore when she was younger. Oh, yeah. We would find Drew over in the corner just talking away. And, <laughs> and so he had a couple of guys, you know, on his eyes and his neck would go... Just some kind of response uh, so that Drew, at that age, you know, they go in and out of reality and fantasy so easily. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he was really smart to do that. Stephen worked 
so incredibly well with the kids. And I, my technique is very much in the moment. You know, the more I don't know what to expect, really, the better I am. And so I kind of work the same way as the kids. <laughs> so um, it, it was just kind of magical how it all came together. Now, I was going to say, you also talk about the fact that some of the best directors you've worked with have this like aha moment where they you're filming something and you ad lib a little bit and then they're like, OK, build a set for that or add a scene on for that. Yeah, all the big directors that I've worked with. What, I mean, I guess it's I, I see that they see it in you, but what what's that emotional connection where they see something in your face and they're like, oh, build a kitchen in E.T. for this when she walks well, away? When I, it, it was a dinner table scene. He whispered to Henry, you know, say he's, he's in Mexico with Sally. And what happened to Mary was I could feel the tears coming up and I didn't want my kids to see me cry. So I excused myself and got up and left. And Stephen came over and he said, Dee, why did you do that? Why did you get up and leave? And I explained to him what happened. And he went, all right, everybody got 30 minutes to build the kitchen scene. I need running water so he can take me over to the kitchen and bring me into that big close-up where I say he hates Mexico. I remember that scene. Yeah. All that happened. You know, and that's that's the magic of of filmmaking of any creative endeavor. It happens on the stage too in the rehearsal process, where if everybody feels like they have the room to bring in or let happen whatever creativity. Uh, is true and real in the moment, then magical things happen. The cinematographer feels that way, the actors, the director, the editor. I mean, you know, even I I just worked with an amazing um, costumer who had all kinds of interesting and awesome ideas. And... um, so when everybody, and, and it's got to come from the director, um, giving you that freedom. You know, Rob Zombie is another one. My God, it's like everybody bring in their best ideas and let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, and so much magic happens when when you do that. It's amazing, too. It's like a director maybe doesn't have this humongous ego where it has to be their way. And then when you, when the people that are working with them bring in their creativity, like you said, the magic happens. Do you think that's something to do with it? It's just whoever's there or who is directing or, I don't know, in charge? Oh, would so they let go of sure. it? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure, because if, if they give you an inkling that, you know, and you're finding that a lot in TV, unfortunately, these days, the producers are the writers, and they're telling the directors what to tell us. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to let go of their words. They don't, you know, and 
and it's too bad because the the creativity when when everybody just feels like they can live in the moment and be as truthful in the moment like Mary had to get up and leave you know um, same thing happened with Blake Edwards when I did 10 um, same uh, constantly in Cujo I mean Cujo was just a channeled performance for want of a better word and uh, Joe Dante I mean he would go, I, I don't know, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think, Chris? What do you think, D? You know, and Chris had great ideas, and I had great ideas, and Joe had great ideas, and you put them all together, and you get a magical movie. That, you, you were saying that Cujo is one of your favorites. If, if you it had is to, my favorite. It is your favorite. What, would yeah. you, what were some of the other ones that really hold a special place in your heart? Oh, my God, The, the Howling, 10. Uh, the Frighteners, Peter Jackson's The the Frighteners, um, of course, E.T. Uh, I have so many stories of how E.T. has touched so many lives in so many different ways. I, I said to Stephen on the red carpet the other night, said, you need to put together a book of all the letters and stories um, and how E.T. has changed their lives. This is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Why do you yeah, think it yeah. resonated so much with the audience? Because it reminds us of the truth. It reminds us of our heart. It reminds us of love. It reminds us of friendship. It reminds us of working together. Everything that this bloody world needs to remember right now. And, and just the acceptance, you know, acceptance and eating, like you said, the heart, the love. And yeah. There's Keep so many lessons open there. And you get home. You know, that movie was, it was good for every age group. You could take your kids. You could take, I, I think I was in high school when it came out. I, I think I saw it three times at the theater. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yes. And, you know, then your parents liked it. You know, it just had such a... Yep meaningful message and it's lasted through the ages it's our wizard of oz it is a good way to describe it you've you've seemed to you seem to really connect on an emotional level with every movie that you do even the horror ones which is amazing because it's not i would think it'd be hard to to kind of connect to the horror films like do they do they they require more energy you're you're not connecting to the horror film you're connecting to the character and what she's going through and what she's trying to accomplish. I had to protect my son in Cujo. I I would have given up my life for my son. The howling for me was all about the search for the light in the dark. That's what that newscaster was on the search for. I, I like horror films because I have a very big emotional life and I like to use it. Do I like to do, I just did a great little romantic comedy, which was so much fun and a family film. So I do it all. But if I, if I just did rom-coms, I would feel 
like something was missing in my talent. And then, you know, your book. Most people don't know that I've been uh, channeling. I'm a clairaudient channel. And I had a healing practice now for 40 years. I have um, clients all over the world that I do private sessions for. Um, I have my radio show that I just passed my 600th episode. Um, and my fans are still learning that side of me, but they've seen that side of me in my work ever since I started acting. Uh, I mean, if you talk to Lewis Teague about Cujo, he actually, somebody asked him in an interview, what did you do to get that performance out of Dee Wallace? He said, look, Dee just channeled that whole thing. And I watched, <laughs> which is not true. He was a huge, huge part of that film and helping me find her and sustain her. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I come from, as we all do, we all have our stories of uh, hard times and abandonment and uh, I was raised in a very poor home. My dad was a severe alcoholic. Pretty much every night I watched him rail on my mom, not physically, but emotionally. And he ended up committing suicide, blowing himself through the head. And uh, two years ago, my little brother did the same thing. And... You know, we've all got our stories, guys. And it's okay to tell your story, except the more you tell your story, the more you keep living it. And what's really important is what we do with them now. So are you going to continue to use your story as an excuse to be less than who you can be now? Or are you going to go, okay, that happened to me. Mm -hmm. Now, who do I want to create me as in this moment? And when you start doing that, you really start seeing your life turning around in amazing ways. And you, you talk a lot about getting back to the zero, like in your book, getting back to the zero. Can you, yeah. can you hear a little bit about getting back to zero? Well, yeah, I mean, if I found out tomorrow that I have cancer, there is a time in my life where I never had any cancer. That's the zero point. That's when I was healthy, That right? See, what I teach is such a combination of spirituality and brain science and religion. The good book says, think only on these things, peace, joy, love. Brain science says, whatever you think about and focus on, you create more of, which is why the good book said, think only on the positive things, because that's what you create in your life then. Um, so the zero point is, where do I want to start from? It's better to start from zero and nothing 
and create everything you want, then try to fix everything in your past because if you're telling your brain to fix something, what does your brain see? Your brain thinks in pictures. It sees the thing that's wrong. You tell a three-year-old, don't you touch that TV. He'll look at you and go right over and touch that TV because your brain thinks in pictures. So if you say, I don't want to be sick, your brain sees sickness. If you say, you know, I, I don't want to worry about money and I don't want to have this lack of money in my life, your brain sees what you don't want. And so it really is retraining your brain and your soul, which work together, to think and perceive the world in the way that matches what you want. Thinking of it as your brain looking into pictures and saying what you don't want, you're right. You're just creating that picture in your head. What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? Think only on what you want. Only any time you hear yourself saying, but you know, you've canceled out everything that you said you want. Trying is another word. Oh, I'm trying. So I lovingly say, well, try to stand up. Okay. I'm standing up. I said, well, see, you didn't try. You just stood up. Good point. (laughs) But we all, we're so taught innately that we have to struggle to create everything and struggling is the opposite of creating well now Bridget and I are thinking about everything you just said but you mentioned that you know in your book you were talking about how you were raised and and that being a hard worker and struggling was looked at as you were a good person if you were like that Yes. But well, then weren't it, we all taught that? Yeah. That, oh, to, you know, humble and, yeah. and, you know, that that was the good thing. And that if you're... I can still hear my grandmother say, they're the rich people. We're the good people. Yeah. Yeah. So cut to me starring in E.T. and my life taking off and making all this money. And I went, oh, my God, I'm one of them. Yeah. And I really got small. I really pulled back into myself until I realized, you know what? I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. If I'm a good person, I'm a good person. And if I have a lot of money, I get to be a good person who has a lot of money who's helping a lot of other people, my family, charities that I love, doing good things in the world, you know, it's again, what's going to be a match to who you want to be. You also talk about the fact that how we see ourselves is designed by the time we're eight years old. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Staggering. Yes. It was just shocking. The way we see ourselves and our self-esteem and the way we think the world sees us, totally locked in our brains by eight years old. So whatever you're taught from zero to eight, you build the rest of your life on. 
those beliefs. And as the good book says, as you believe, it will be delivered to you. In other words, there is no fate. It's your belief system. Pick a belief system that matches what you want. I don't have any belief that an older actress can't work a lot. So I do. If I continued to live my story, I would be holding myself very small. I would still be scared to death that God wasn't going to love me if I made a lot of money. I wouldn't have done half the roles uh, that I've done because, uh, again, I wouldn't have been a good person in that definition. So it's a lot of manifestation to bring things into. Well, it's knowing what you want. You know what you don't want, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, when I go out and speak, I'll have somebody come up to the stage and go, what do you want? Well, I don't want to have to worry about money. Good. What do you want? Well, I don't want to be stressed out about money all the time. Good. What do you want? This can go on for 20 minutes until they get so pissed off at me. They say, I want more money. And I go, good. That's the first time you've told me what you want. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We think that by knowing what we don't want, that's going to get us what we want. That's only the first step. Oh, th- this is what I don't want. So what do I want? I want the positive opposite of this. What is that? Let me make a list. My channel's big on lists. Let me write down everything I want in money. Everything I want in a relationship, everything I want in my success, let me write that down. And now I'm going to feel a lot of love around all that. That's my job is just to connect those things that I want with love and joy. The universe will figure out how to get it to you. That's not your job. Your job is to be in alignment with it so that when you bake cookies, somebody calls and there's a part there for you. Yeah, that is so amazing. And in your book, too, you talk just about love. That is the the whole thing is the love. Yes. See, most of us are trying to get love or to give love instead of being love and when you are the essence of love and you take that into everything you create the world just says yes it's it's really simple and it's kind of miraculous to watch it's what people call miracles you know you et you didn't have to audition you did et three and a half years after you nobody even knew you i mean you know it's kind of miraculous it is that's true and if someone wanted to get in touch with you to talk more about this you have a website i do i am dwallace.com it's so easy (laughs) which has your information on it and the books and all that yeah if you want a signed copy of the book you can get it through 
through the website. You can set up a private session with me on the homepage. It shows you how to connect to the Sunday show, 9 a.m. Pacific time every Sunday morning. Wow. Even, see, now, when I went to do this film in Alaska, they were shooting on Sundays, and I was scheduled to shoot. And my my uh, agent said, well, gosh, you know, D, I, you better just find somebody to cover your shower. I said, no, I'm going to ask him if I can do it. No, D, come on. It's. I said, no, I'm going to ask if the, if they can't, they'll say no, because there was an hour difference. So it was eight o'clock there instead of nine o'clock. So I was talking to the director and I told him about my show and I said, I do it live and I'd really very much like to do it if it works out with the schedule. And he called me back and he said, we work the schedule out so you can do your show. But you got to ask. You got to ask. Yes. You got to yeah. ask. See, most people, like my mom said, they, most people say no before they ask. Saying no for other people is an easy way out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then you don't even have to ask. You don't exactly. want to ask. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to let you get ready for your nap because you were so gracious <laughs> to come straight from your red eye onto yes. this show. We really thank you so much for it. Oh, yes. it's been a blast. <laughs> oh, and thank you for everything you're doing. We're going to make sure to have in our show notes links to your book, to your website, to your radio show. So if anybody that is listening wants to connect, it'll be easy to do so. Just go on the show notes. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and everything you've done. And gosh, enjoy your, your, whatever shows you're doing for the the rest of this year. That's the plan, baby. (laughs) I just, you know, life's too long not to have fun. That's right. That's right. Ah. (laughs) Too long. I was going to say, that's that's not usually what people say, but okay. They usually say it's too short. (laughs) Yeah. But if you think about it, you know, if you live a long life, you don't want to live a life of struggle and down and worry and ugh. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, we want to thank Dee Wallace so much for being on our show today. I think that is so amazing, all these stories that she told and what she continues to do. She does not stop. And like Colleen said at the beginning, and like Dee said, she had just taken a red eye from Alaska back to talk to us today and she just keeps going she was a joy to talk to the energizer bunny yes and just the inspiration you know we are never you're never too old to do anything and she looks fantastic she sounds fantastic she does a fantastic work and so you know just an inspiration for all of us that we are never too old don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something because you can do it if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Because Dee Wallace tells you you can, so you have That's to listen. Right. <laughs> That's right. You said me nominated. You have to listen to it. Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank all of you for listening to our show. Please spread the word. Let Leave us a review. Rate us. Check out all of our other platforms. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. 